0: we are looking at the mysteries of the Kingdom of the Heavens. And uh, I haven't really said very much about about mysteries and about the fact that there are several of them in the New Testament. This is a wonderful uh, aspect of the New Testament that there are mysteries, that is to say, secrets of God that are opened up through the Bible. Now It's easy for God to keep these secrets from those who don't believe because uh, the Scripture can only be understood with the assistance of the anointing that God has given to our Lord Jesus Christ and that uh, therefore flows to all who are in him, uh, whether male, female, rich, poor, uh, uh, no distinction is made because if you're in the body of Christ, then you are covered might even say encapsulated by the anointing that is on Christ there's a lot of uh nonsense that's said about anointing these days and of course uh, as we're in here looking at the kingdom of the heavens in mystery form we realize that uh, it's under uh, it's being assailed by uh demon influences who find their their adherence here on earth and so it's uh going to be marked by A lot of false teaching which we'll which we'll read about as we look here in a few minutes at the parable of the tares but Jesus Christ is the anointed one and he uh, that is what it means to be Christ Uh, that Jesus is the Christ means that he is the Jesus means Savior his name Joshua uh, the the Christed or the Messiah of the Jews the one who is anointed uh, to be uh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, also anointed as high priest over his own house. And in the anointing of the high priest, it, uh, it was, it's given graphically in the Old Testament, in the anointing of Aaron, we see how the anointing was done. And uh, the Psalms comment on it that the anointing was poured over his head, flowed down over his beard, even down over his clothing. And so you see that the anointing of uh, of the high priest uh, covered, uh, with, with, co- though poured on his head, covered his whole body. This is a wonderful uh, picture, uh, which is what it is. It's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ha- our high priest and our head. Our head is anointed. We are in Him. We are members uh, of the same body. And so the anointing that was poured upon him, uh, we're in the good of it, even though it's his anointing. And so it's not mine. It's not yours. The anointing is not something I have personally. It is not something that that I earned or deserve personally. Uh, it is something I come into and part of the gift of God uh, as I come into the body of Christ and am am given a new nature, including the anointing that is Christ. And therefore, we are called in Christ Jesus. That being said, uh, we understand that this wonderful good news uh, concerning the new nature that we're given, because we're born from above, uh, concerning the advocacy of our Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, concerning the person of the Holy Ghost, who was sent by the Father and the Son, who proceeds from both the Father and the Son, uh, given to us here on earth as one who calls us alongside. Uh, Having these wonderful gifts, we realize that we're very well outfitted. We have the complete Word of God, and so we know we are outfitted for the spiritual warfare that we conduct. And it's important for us not only to know that we're outfitted and not only to be secure that we have eternal life, which is the gift of God and not the prize of God, to to know that we're outfitted. It it is important for us also then to know our role because because our citizenship is not here. Here, as Abraham knew, we have no lasting city. But we seek that one which is to to last, and so we seek the age which is to come. We seek uh, to be pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may enjoy the age which is to come. And uh, we also seek uh, uh, here, we hope, as the Apostle hoped for the Philippians, that we could approve the things that are excellent, or or in other words to say, that we could distinguish the things that are different, that we may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. And um, so this is, this is our desire, this is our hope. All Christians have the same hope. I get disturbed, I have to tell you, I get very disturbed uh, when Christians are diverted into different hopes. Uh, or where uh, a wrong hope is placed upon a Christian. Uh, It is not our hope to escape the Great Tribulation. It is not our hope uh, that we uh, somehow come out on the other end of that bloody mess uh, wherein the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God are both visited upon man. It is our hope to be pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ, during this present time where we wrestle against wicked spirits in the heavenly places who, halfway through the great tribulation, will be cast down with Satan to the earth, their places becoming vacated and opened for those who qualify for them At the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the meantime, the Lord Jesus Christ has laid out for us these mysteries. And when I say mysteries, I mean secrets that are open. And when I say it's not hard for God to keep it a secret, it's because only those with the new nature and the Word of God are able to understand these things. In fact, the Lord spoke these things openly, at least the first few several parables here that we're we're looking at, uh, the first Four parables he spoke them openly, and uh, then he spoke uh, a few more you could say four, we can say three uh depending how we whether we're going to look at seven or eight parables. uh he spoke privately, and one of the most amazing verses in Matthew chapter thirteen really is the fifty-first verse uh where he where he asks this question: Jesus saith unto them have you understood all these things they say unto him yea lord and that's a wonderful and and, a, and an awesome scripture in a, in a lot of ways because they understood these things so if they understood these things we certainly ought to understand these things now the secrets that uh that the lord gives us in the in the new testament these secrets that he reveals to us These open uh, secrets, mysteries, should occupy a great deal of our study as Christians. There is the mystery, which is the temporary, partial blindness of Israel. That's one of the mysteries that the New Testament lays out. Uh, People certainly get that one wrong, uh, as you may very well understand uh, today. And uh, there is also the mystery of the church, which is his body, Uh, That is also a mystery that is uh, uh, there for us to understand, but uh, is not very well understood uh, unhappily. There is also the mystery of uh, the rapture of the living saints. Uh, I show you a mystery that will not all sleep, but we will all be translated, we will all be changed. That is another great mystery opened up in the New Testament. But the beginning of the, and and sometime maybe we'll do a series on each of the mysteries and and some other things, but right now we introduce the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens because as the Lord took up his parabolic teaching, he began to connect up certain dots of the scripture that we can really enjoy. For example, we find parabolic teaching very rarely in the Bible. We just do not find parabolic teaching teaching or mystery teaching in the Bible. We find mystery teaching in the Bible in the book of Daniel, which was locked up until it became open in Christ uh, in, in, in here in the New Testament. This opens up the book of Daniel to us, really unlocks it. That was mystery teaching where Daniel was known to be the revealer of secrets. Here the Lord Jesus Christ uh, showing himself to be the revealer of secrets. And mysteries given to the Apostle Paul, he continued and picked up the mystery teaching or the the, or the opening of secrets that the Lord Jesus also did. The idea of the Lord Jesus Christ as the revealer of secrets is uh, particularly influential with the Gentiles who had appointed for their, themselves their own uh, mystery teachers or their own revealers of secrets, who of course were false ones. And so when the Lord presents himself in this way here in the the gospel of Matthew, he presents himself in a way that will be very powerful uh for when the word of God goes out to the Gentiles after his decease. So now, we're in the, and there are many things to say, say about that. I just throw a little bit of that out there. I don't develop it much because our agenda today is to open up the third parable in this series of seven parables uh of the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens and today we have a, a parable that is much maligned very poorly understood very much under attack and it is the parable of the mustard tree and it's it's not a very long parable at all but and it's related to the one that follows it and it's related to the ones ahead of it and we'll try to put the right uh we'll, we'll try to cut this straight and we'll look at the things that are alike and we'll try to distinguish the things that are different as we lay it out. So let's, if we can, uh, if you have a Bible uh, in front of you, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13 and look at verses 31 and 32. If you don't have a Bible uh, near you, why not? And if you're driving in your car, uh, just be listening here, it, it reading your Bible may not uh, while you're driving may not be as dangerous as talking on a cell phone or eating a cheeseburger or smoking a cigarette, but I think it's still dangerous. So just listen as I read to you Matthew thirteen thirty one thirty two Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of the heavens is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof." Now that's just two verses of Scripture, not very many words, but the the impact and the meaning of this is, is very important for us. Understand this, when we look at the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens, it is so that we can understand the environment that we're in and therefore the course that we are to take and also remember that the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens are not the mysteries of the church but the mystery of the kingdom of the heavens and we have to remember that the kingdom of the heavens it's plural there's more than one heaven it is the ruling it is an it is the ruling of the heavens over the earth uh, as we ought to see it and the what we see today through the eyes of our understanding uh, through our faith is that our Lord Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and Lord Lord of Lords and he taught us to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that his kingdom is not here yet that thy kingdom would come it's coming in the future that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven that's what we hope to see that is not what we see what we see we see Uh, Our Lord Jesus Christ, through the eyes of faith, crowned with glory and honor, set above the angels, a new humanity raised up over the angelic host, but we still see the angelic conflict in the heavens, which, by the way, we are given to enter. If if there wasn't an angelic kingdom in the heavens still operating, if there wasn't a defiant set of, of angelic creatures in the heavens, my friends, we wouldn't have anything to do. The Christian life would be totally meaningless. But we don't have to worry about if, that, because that didn't happen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against wicked spirits in heavenly places. And we notice that in the kingdom of the heavens, in the form that it's in today, in the mystery form, that we can only understand it through the reading of the Scriptures. And what have we understood so far? Well, what we've understood so far we see behind the parables sometimes directly referenced, but we also see the working of the enemies of Christ, our enemies, our spiritual enemies, fallen angels, who were busily, though deceived, trying to destroy what God is trying to do. And God is very happy with the intention, with the wicked intentions of the angels trying to destroy His work, because just as they tried to destroy the Lord Jesus, in His sovereign way, He uses their desire to destroy within His plan to save. Now, that's something maybe that uh, that is difficult to understand. Maybe that's not something that's just readily apparent to you, but in the book of Acts chapter 4 when they prayed, they noticed the conspiracy among men, that fomented and affected by angels, that uh, that ended up in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is just precisely, exactly what he came to do. He came to die for our sins. He didn't come for other other things. He didn't come to survive. It wasn't too bad that he died. He came to die. It wasn't that someone killed him. Nobody could kill him. He laid his life down. He took it up again. So when we look now at these parables, we see the hand of his enemies uh, operating uh, very clearly. And we see, uh, first of all, among believers, we see the enemies attack, trying to destroy their uh, uh, productivity, their fruitfulness, by uh, snatching... Uh, away, the word that is that is given to them before they understand it, and this the, though this is so obvious in the Scripture, it says that the evil one comes and catches away that which was sown in his heart or in his mind, in the mind of the believer before he could understand it. Even though we can read that, it still goes on all the time. Maybe I'm a little sensitive to that because I do make it my place to teach the Scriptures but i'm sometimes stunned and i suppose it happens to me but then i wouldn't if it happens to me i wouldn't notice it either but i do notice it also with uh with others that uh that you can tell them something right out of the scripture and they, their eyes light up and they say oh okay okay and then later they didn't understand it and they have no idea what you're talking about so you keep repeating yourself with uh, many many things Uh, and yet some believers never do understand. And then, of course, the enemy tries to destroy us with his persecution, and uh, he tries to organize persecution against us because of the Word. This is the constant hounding of the believer by the enemies, by our spiritual enemies, just as our Lord Jesus Christ was constantly hounded by his spiritual enemies. And uh, those are the part of the sufferings of Christ, or in one place it's put the the fellowship of his sufferings, or in another place it's put concerning Moses, really the sufferings for Christ. We might read it that way. And uh, that can cause one also to stumble, or that can cause one to become fruitful. Finally, the enemy attacks those who are fruitful to make them unfruitful by raising up the cares of this world, or the deceitfulness of riches both of which, friends, is mere unbelief in the provision of God and Christ. Uh, Whether you uh, gain the whole world if you lose your own life, what profit then is it? And Christian friend of mine, you can throw away and lose your Christian life. So now we then see that the kingdom of the heavens is going to be in this mixed state concerning the parable of the tares, that an enemy is going to come in And so in the field, which is the world, uh, he's going to, he sows in his sons uh, who were supposed to leave alone. And that's the problem, is you don't leave them alone. One story that really, I think, a children's story that that I heard, I don't know what, uh, it seems like the children's stories that I heard are not being taught anymore. Uh, The new children's stories are being not taught, but bought, and uh, well i won't even go into that uh but there are millions of people buying children's stories as we speak uh just this week but uh, there's a the children's story concerning uh brer rabbit and the tar baby and maybe you know the story as brer rabbit he's walking on his way he has somewhere to be and he says hello to uh a, a tar uh, uh, uh really a like a scarecrow made out of tar and um of course, the dumb, uh, lifeless thing doesn't answer. And Br'er Rabbit begins now to involve himself uh, with the Tar Baby, uh, maybe telling him that he don't give him any respect or whatever it is. And uh, and then he begins to fight this inanimate creature. And the next thing you know, you can't tell the difference between Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby as he gets all balled up and messed up. Well, we're we're talking about the analogy of of Bear Rabbit, who got distracted, you see, and that thing that he should have left alone, he got all balled up with. And and so that's a good analogy, I think, at least for the time being, uh, concerning the lesson of the tares, where we're told to leave them alone. The servants of the Lord told, leave them alone. Let them both grow together until the harvest. The field is the world. We do not need to occupy ourselves with the tares that are in the world, those sown by the enemy. And I don't say you can't notice them. They're noticeable. Uh, and these uh, are religious people, by the way, by and large. The tares in the world are religious leaders trying to mislead us. And there are many, and they are very uh, common. And uh, it's not hard to find a false religious leader, a false teacher. Uh, there, were false, there were many false prophets in Israel, they were 450 to 1 against Elijah, and just as there were false prophets in Israel, so among us there will be false teachers. And oftentimes they're not that easy to find, but it is a difficult thing to leave them alone. Because aren't they aggravating? Yes, they're aggravating. The great challenge is leave them alone, put out the truth. This is all part of the testing of the believer. Now, that's the parable of the terrorist that's in summary. Now we have read verses 31 and 32 of, of Matthew chapter 13, and it's another parable. It's a parable like the other ones about the kingdom of the heavens, and it is. it says it's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. So we have the man, we have the field, and we have the sowing going on, and uh, we should be able to identify now this. The man is representing the Lord who sows his own. Uh, the, the the seed representing uh, that which is good that he sows, that which is faithful, that which is in faith, and he sows that, and the field is the world. So we have that. Now it says, the Lord says, verse 32, which is indeed the least of all the seeds. Now there are many that believe Uh, that this is not the least of all seeds. They want to discredit the scriptures and say this is not the least of all the seeds. There are smaller seeds than the mustard seeds, so forth and so on. But this actually has to do with the context that he is sowing these in his field. Uh, Mustard is sown in the Middle East. It is the smallest of the seeds that are sown. Uh, And uh, for your benefit, by the way, uh, I produced, I I found a visual, I I copied a visual on the website, www.biblestudy.net, where you can see a full-grown mustard plant, and it's about, I think that the the picture there doesn't indicate how tall it is, but it's 10 to 12 feet high. It's a very wispy kind of uh, weak-looking herbaceous Plant you could very easily trample over it. It's very weak, very thin, but it grows quite high. It's a very sparse thing. Uh, so here it says is is greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And uh, now this is the end of the parable, and we're supposed to learn something from it. And so in order to learn something from it, we have to know a little bit something about. The mustard tree, uh, which is also uh, kind of a bush, it's an herb. And so, if you look at a if you look at a picture of it, if you look at the website, you can see it there. Uh, it's a very wispy thing. the The branches are very, very tiny. It's it it blows in the wind. Even at twelve feet high, a strong wind would blow it all the way down to the ground. Uh, it is a very uh, weak plant in terms of uh, tensile strength it's very flexible and and uh, and then the branches that come off of that uh, main branch are even thinner they're so thin really you could just bite them right off uh, they're no bigger than a piece of straw in fact they're smaller than that and I, I assure you if you look at it you will see that no birdies no little birdies would make their nest in that tree it is not a nestable plant and yet here the Lord talks about that this partic- in this particular parable that this, when it's sown, uh, even though it's a, a great herb, becomes a tree. Now, the, an herb is not a tree. An herb is kin to a grass. It's not a tree. And uh, the mustard plant is not really a tree at all. It is a bush at best. And so, the Lord now, when he says that this herb becomes a tree, we have uh, something very strange happening. Bushes don't become trees. Herbs don't become trees. Uh, the, uh, ask You can go search out the discoveries of Carl von Linnaeus and find out that they're in different categories of thing. I don't claim to be a biologist. I don't claim to be agrarian. I, I can't even farm. I don't even garden well. Uh, many times I've thought to garden, and I'm uh, not a good gardener. I uh, I just, uh, okay, I've planted a couple of acres of tomatoes on one occasion, but I lost money doing it, and uh, I learned my lesson. But uh, let me tell you that um, this uh, parable uh, points out to us that something is, did happened in this field that's not supposed to happen, that this bush became a tree, and of course, that's exactly what we found out has happened inside uh, Christianity in the world today. Everywhere we look around, instead of a little flock which God promised to give to His, uh, to, to 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 freely give His kingdom to, we have uh, the rising up of large, extra biblical uh, institutions. When I say extra-biblical, I mean the Bible owns nothing of these kind of institutions. For example, the whole landscape of the history of Christianity has been marked by multi-state, multi-city, multinational, denominational religions, none of which the Scripture owns. The Scripture owns nothing of a monstrous, uh, huge Uh, uh, linkage of churches into a denomination that specifically and specially identify themselves as against other uh, churches in Christianity. All of denominationalism is simply a reflection of the fact that this, what the Lord said would happen in the parable, happens in the world. What do we do about it? we function in it. That's what we do about it. We don't have to join it. We don't have to do anything about it. He doesn't give here any any indication of things to do about it, but we do recognize that this happened. In fact, what happened in the world is the Lord intended to plant a nice, fruitful, herbaceous bush that's very useful. That's the mustard bush, but it becomes a tree. And what happens when it becomes a tree? Well, when it's a bush, the birds of the air can't lodge in it, but when it's a tree, it becomes an invitation for the birds of the air and my friend, I've heard the story how it is that Christianity will flourish and soon be a wonderful place for all the little birdies to live. Well, let's look at the little birdies of scripture and we'll um we've we've of course in the first parable uh, the parables interpreting themselves to a large extent in the first parable. With the parable of the sower, we saw those little birdies, didn't we? And they were called the evil one, which snatched our understanding. We'll also look at Genesis 15 right now. I'll read it to you if you want to turn there. You can do that. But this, uh, Genesis 15, uh, the section where uh, it said, Abraham believed God, and it, it was counted to him for righteousness, and uh, that's in verse 6. Uh, in verse 5, it says, The Lord brought Abram forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. He said, So shall thy seed be. And uh, this is when the heavenly seed of Abraham was uh, was displayed to him. And, now in verse, and then Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And Abram said, Lord God, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And the Lord said to him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, that is to say he cut them in half, and laid each piece against uh, another, but the birds divided he not. So so now... uh. Abraham was called to lay out a sacrifice which God was going to consume the sacrifice and 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 therefore fulfill this covenant and if, without the sac- without the shedding of blood without this sacrifice there would be no covenant uh so this now these uh, these uh sacrifices now representing uh, the uh, the uh, covenant making f- f- uh, fulfilling the covenant being a piece of f- the fulfillment of the covenant and we have verse 11 and the fowls when the fowls came down upon the carcasses Abram drove them away so here you see the fowls of the air coming down as they would on the carcasses of the sacrifice before the sacrifice was sanctified by God trying to destroy God's promise to Abraham, or to Abram. So, uh, there's your little birdies. Uh, The birdies come in to try to interfere with the birds of the air, try to come in and interfere with the covenant of Abraham. The little birdies uh, who make their nest in the big tree, Uh, these same birds are the ones who snatch the understanding uh, away from the believer, who are the obvious agency of Satan. Birds of the air are representative of Satan in the Scripture. And 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 what do we find about the air in Scripture? Well, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And uh, in the second day of the creation, when God created the firmament, he didn't call that good. That's because it's the abode of Satan, and the prince of the power of the air. And so, and and it's a good for, it's a good formulation. It's a good symbol for us to understand because the uh, we know that the birds of the air are those uh, denizens of the air that uh, we can see. But uh, and the angelic host who who occupy the heavens above us and who are before us and who are mightier than us and more smarter than us and more powerful than us. Uh, and who are the who have fallen with Satan and are the enemy? The, who is the archenemy of the Lord Jesus Christ and have joined him as enemies uh, of Christ? This is where our warfare is. So the Lord is doing a parable. That is, he's taking something that we do understand and applying it to the thing that we do not understand. What is it that we do understand? We understand birds nesting. Uh, those of you that have had to take the nests out of your downspouts at your house or have to knock them out of different trees in your yard because the birds uh, pester you um, uh, because they're eating little insects on your home or whatever we do understand where birds nest we also ought to understand where they don't nest and where they won't nest is in a wispy little bush where the wind can blow the nest right out of it or that where the branches are too weak to even hold the nest but if it becomes big, if the if that if that which was supposed to become a bush becomes powerful and strong and big, like the like the various church forms have done in the world, or the Roman Church or the Anglican Church or the or very many other churches, the Lutheran Church or very many other large denomination de- denominations become hu- enormous then they become sa- suitable places for the birds of the air to lodge and what happens when the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof well you get the fruit of what that is so this is what this is the condition that we have in christianity and not only today i mean it's, this is a condition that is perhaps becoming more extreme today I don't know if it's any worse than it ever was, but it's certainly a condition that the Lord told us that we would have, and certainly a condition that has been throughout the entire time of the Kingdom of the Heavens while it's in mystery form. And what then happens? Well, here's what happens, my friend. What happens is the birds of the air, representing satanic influence, find a home. In the big tree, they find a home in the big tree, and what what angels seek to do is angels seek to uh, uh, wicked angels seek to influence and direct men. They, in short, seek to teach men. That is why the scripture tells us. Uh, uh, first of all, that's why the Lord planted a seed that did not that was not supposed to grow like that and let me tell you something, a properly formed church will not uh, allow such a a thing to happen. But we'll also read from 1 Timothy chapter 4 uh, some urgent information given to us by the Spirit of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, please listen. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, very emphatic statement, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and teaching demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, that is, foods, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, here, here we find that there's an urgent statement made by Paul to Timothy that the Spirit speaks expressly. First of all, notice that the Apostle Paul knew uh, what the Spirit said and what didn't. He knew he was writing Scripture, for those of you who wondered about that. Uh, Peter also knew that Paul wrote Scripture and said that they that are unstable rest uh, Paul's writings as they do the other Scriptures, therefore classifying Paul's writing as Scripture. Uh, here's here here he says the spirit speaks expressly which is to say that is uh, these are expressed words the, the the spirit uh is giving precise words here that in the latter times or the later times some will apostasize that's what it means leave the faith there's such a thing as those who leave the faith some will depart from the faith giving heed to who seducing spirits and teaching demons so well phrased we ought not to change it but just observe the fact that this is what demon spirits do they seduce this is this is to say wandering spirits these are these are wandering spirits of the air what what do we find that 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 air does well the wind blows where it does and we find in the scriptures that there are some who are taken up with every wind of doctrine. Uh, so we find a, a very great consistency here. We find the hiss of the serpent here. We find now wandering spirits. The, 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 this is where we get our word planets. We get our word planets. The stars of the heavens seem to, to, to have some bearing vis-a-vis angels of the heaven. When if if you're a navigator and you're trying to navigate by the stars, you want to fix on a star. You certainly don't want to fix on a planet. Why? Because a planet moves and becomes very unreliable. And, be, and, and because the planet moves, it will direct you not to the safe harbor, which God would have you to go to, but it, it takes you to be shipwrecked concerning the faith. And so in the last times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits that is wandering spirits the teaching of demons where does this come from where do they hear it well friends they hear it in the churches they hear it from religious people we're looking at the parable of the mustard tree so-called found in matthew thirteen verses thirty one thirty two when we see this uh, scripture just two verses We ought to pay a a little bit of attention to the precise words that are used. Every word of God is pure. God uses precise words for the Scriptures. Uh, The Scriptures are not written. They're not God's ideas to us in in certain kinds of words, but they are God's ideas with God's precision words used. Every word of God is is God-breathed, and God selected out the languages of the Scripture largely. Uh, uh, Greek and Hebrew, Greek in the New Testament, largely Hebrew for the Old Testament, in order to to give us exact knowledge. You say, well, how can that happen when these languages have uh, perhaps suffered the corruption of men? Well, God took the words of these languages, and he purified them before he set them in the Scripture. So we look at the precision uh, that's being used uh, in these words uh, for example, uh, it, it says uh, that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And and this word for air is a word for heaven, but it's not like the kingdom of the heavens, which is a plural word. This word is a very similar word. It's the same word that's used for kingdom of the heavens, but it becomes singular. The birds of the heaven, singular. It's called the air because we understand uh, the translators also understood that this uh, was the that this is the province that that's a, a heavenly province that that we enjoy uh, we we enjoy the the heavenly province of the air uh, though we walk on the earth we find that to be the lower heaven and uh, then the highest heaven is where the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, that's we learn that from from Paul's uh, rapture uh, to there uh, where he heard unspeakable things and uh, so in between that's where our conflict is that's where the angels reside and they get sway uh, on the earth and so this now being teaching by the lord the birds of the heaven come and lodge in the branches thereof but but really this word lodge I talked about nests and of course uh, birds do perch where they also nest, but <clears throat> and if you look at that mustard tree, you'll see that a bird can't even perch safely uh, on the stems from on the mustard plant, the normal mustard plant, which you might find on the banks of the River Jordan, for example. A bird can't even safely alight and perch on those branches, but when it becomes a tree, now a bird can safely perch on it. And uh if you if you can picture a bird perching, then you realize that whatever is underneath him, uh, he has, uh, uh, he can hold court below him, as it were. And this is exactly what has happened to us in Christianity, is that Christian, can I say structures, Christian organizations, well, they don't have to just be churches today, they can be these enormous ministries which grow up and have no proper accountability and, and who cannot and where you cannot apply any of the injunctions uh uh and order that the scripture calls for i remember in one particular case this is when i was overseas there was an organization uh and uh it was uh, it was actually it was the bible study fellowship now, i'll tell you what organization it was it was called the bible study fellowship or some of you might know it as bsf and what is that i have no idea what it is just some organization and uh, there was a man in that organization who had robbed uh, two other christians brazenly one 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 christian uh, out of a huge sum of money by fraud and um other uh uh, the 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 christians that were robbed tried to bring it to the attention where they could this is the only christian fellowship where they could find the man uh, not having a local church and they began to tell those the, those leaders of that organization uh that this man was a thief a, 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 and a fraud and uh not only did he was he uh, a a thief but uh robbed his brethren even admitted that he did and uh, had not repented from it and their their uh answer to that was well we can't do anything concerning discipline of our own because we're not a church well i found that to be very interesting uh learning all that because that's exactly what many organizations do they they avoid any of the christian discipline that the bible requires by organizing themselves outside the context of the church and then say well we can't really do anything about evil in our midst and this is part and parcel this is largely what happens in the big tree whether you find it in Christian organizations that are not churches or whether you find it in unbiblically organized uh, so-called Christian churches, you will find that that wrong teaching, wrong practice will perch itself on the branches thereof. In fact, so much is, is this true, uh, a true structure of these kind of things that some of the outlying posts are even called branches. For example, in the world we have branch offices, and uh, uh, that th- that is based on this notion of a tree structure. I think this scripture probably once much better understood than it is today. Uh, certainly, for example, uh, less than a hundred years ago, if you were to pick up a Schofield reference Bible, which was passed out predominantly as the study Bible, you know, for example, among the Southern Baptists. You would find this understanding uh, of this parable uh, very commonly today. Even as I've been a Christian, uh, le- really uh, um, not much more than a quarter of a century, uh, I find that the understanding of this scripture much less today than it was even twenty years ago in the churches where I'm aware, uh, of, which, uh, of which I'm aware, and um, where I have been. So. Uh, what happens is that the when the organization of the churches or ministries or within Christianity, it just this is the field of the, which is the world. When that which the Lord has sown becomes perverted and grows in an unnatural way, then you have increasingly a problem of these birds finding places to perch themselves and then uh, teaching from there and getting adherents. And that's one of the greatest problems today uh, in Christianity. Uh, one of the one of the biggest difficulties today is that there are just so many voices. Some true, uh, mostly the voices are false, and uh, that's just the way that it is. It's a very difficult thing uh, to even contend with all these voices. Sometimes you have to do. Sometimes uh, small churches just to get the truth out have to do unusual uh, things like broadcast on the radio, or, uh, uh, or make their arrangements so so different that, uh, that people can recognize a big difference. But by and large, this is the state of the kingdom of the heavens that we have. This is what we have to deal with. And my friend, it's not only a problem, of course it is a problem, but it's prophesied by the Lord. The Lord laid this out and said, this is the way it's going to be. So it's not merely a problem, it's a wonderful opportunity, and it's a challenge. And as Christians, we are accountable to understand these secrets that the Lord lays out. Well, maybe you say, gee, this is so bad what you're saying. This is not bad, this is not good. This is the way that the Lord has said that things are. There is the problem of the Christian and the way that he receives the word concerning the Kingdom of the Heavens, and he'll be fruitful if he'll avoid those three pitfalls. There is the problem of the tares in the midst of the field. These are the sons of the evil one. Then there's the problem of the false teaching getting into that which God established and what it, the the greatest problem of false teaching? It's not in the bars. It's not in the Congress. It's not in the Supreme Court. The greatest problem of false, it's not in the public schools. Uh, after all, the public schools are not qualified to teach God's Word or to, t- to teach concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want, they're doing a bad enough job with arithmetic and uh, English. I don't want them Trying the Bible, they're they're bad enough, and they're unqualified. Uh, but in the churches, we're supposed to find in the church the pillar and the support of the truth. But the Lord told us it would happen. And what do we find in the organizations that maybe call themselves churches or parachurches or sorta churches or whatever it is? We find perched in the branches the the teaching of demons. And and listen. Finally, the teaching of demons will become that twofold teaching which is beginning to be extant today, of don't eat this and don't eat that, and do eat this and do eat that. But forbidding to to eat certain foods which God has given us to eat, that's one teaching, and also the forbidding of marriage. Now, some say, well, uh, that doesn't happen. That's happening very many places. I know young people. Uh, who have been taught in their Christian organizations, their youth groups, their their little side ministries, their churches, for example, to practice vegetarianism, a heathen custom, something God doesn't want, forbidding us to eat certain foods God has given us to eat, which are all foods. And um, also the forbidding of marriage. Well, you say, well, maybe marriage isn't explicitly forbidden, well, marriage is forbidden to many today uh within the context of of so called christianity this uh this uh, kind of teaching, which is quite well known among the Hindus, for example, has been inside Christianity as kind of a leak in for uh almost the entire two thousand years uh in in one for example, the Roman Church teaches that celibacy is required for their priests. As long as they don't call themselves Christians, I'm all for it. They can go ahead and and have their Hindu practices, but when they call themselves Christian and when they name the Lord Jesus Christ, all we find here is really something of, I don't say the fulfillment of, but something of this teaching of demons.